welcome to another episode of the Reformation Roundtable podcast. My name is Joe Stout, and this podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Lewis County, Washington. During each episode, you will discover the sermons, exhortations, discussions, and interviews from our various weekly gatherings. Christ Covenant Church is a historically reformed and evangelical church that has been serving the greater Centralia Chehalis area since May of 2021. We meet for worship each Lord's Day to sing psalms and hymns, confess our historic faith, hear the word faithfully proclaimed, and celebrate together the Lord's Supper. Throughout the week, we go out into the world to build the kingdom of Christ right here in Lewis County. If this sounds like a vision for you, we would love to have you join us. Head on over to lewiscounty.church, that is lewiscounty.church, where you will find a calendar of events as well as current times and locations for worship. Please enjoy the following audio. Good morning. morning. The opening text for this morning's message is from John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. Our Lord praying, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of this perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, you would have your people know the truth. I pray that nothing but the truth would come from my mouth this Lord's day. I desire your testimony to proceed and to build your people to new heights of faith and love and devotion, as well as to leave sinners inexcusable and neglecting your mercy. May your people be refreshed, convicted, and comforted as your word washes over all of us. And the people belonging to God all say, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome, everybody. And, and, uh, you know, we're, uh, people have a tendency to, we're very associative. We, We associate things in our life. With different things, I know. I know. I can hear. Um, I hear a certain song, and it might elicit a nostalgic feeling in me from when I was a young man or whatever. And I remember last summer uh, preaching. I think it was the hottest day of the year. So whenever it's hot out, you guys are going to start thinking of me. I think. But uh, we're going to endure today, okay? And we're glad. We're certainly blessed to all be here together. And for those who can't make it for whatever reason or another, certainly we want to keep them um, on our hearts and in our minds. When, when you aren't here, we feel it. When you aren't here, we miss you. And we are glad to be able to come together on, on the Lord's days. Now, when, we, when, I, when I was up here on Pentecost Sunday, I just want to remind you that we talked about the Holy Spirit as a person. We talked about the Holy Spirit as God, and certainly as we went through the whole the person of the Holy Spirit.
Spirit, we talked about the Trinity. In fact, I recited the Athanasian Creed to you guys. And we talked about the Father. We talked about Jesus said, I will send another to you. I will send an allos to you, someone who is just like me. We talked about the evidence of the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Just the fact that we call him the Holy Spirit. The fact that the Holy Spirit possesses all the attributes of God. Omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, and the list goes on. Those, those attributes of God. We talked about the works of God that are attributed to the Holy Spirit. Okay, The equality of the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son. The importance of the Spirit's work the specific work to glorify Christ, all his other works are included in this one overriding purpose. The Holy Spirit would have God be glorified, would have Christ himself be glorified in our hearts and in our lives. And then I, I ended, more or less ended the message talking about the importance and the vitality of this union with Christ that we have as, as his people. So when we come often, when we think about the Holy Spirit, there are, there's a possibility and a potential at times that uh, in, in the, if you call it, want to call it the extreme, we can, we've seen maybe two camps, if you will. One where some seem absolutely obsessed with him to the point where um, re- they relate to him in strange and mystical ways. You've heard the, the, the holy laughter, the latter rain, the liver quivers. And all those types of things. And sometimes when when believers see that, it puts them off a little bit to a point where they almost even become benign about the Holy Spirit. So we know the Holy Spirit is is a is a per, is a member of the Trinity, is one God in three persons, the Holy Spirit. And we under, we know that we may not fully be able to understand it because it is such a deep and profound mystery, but. He is, he is God. I, I remember somebody at a church that we attended uh, early on in my young Christian walk who drew me off to the side and he said, listen, do you speak in tongues? I said, I don't speak in tongues. He said, well, I'm, I want listen to me. I want you to relax, loosen up, shake it out. I'm going to teach you how to speak in tongues. And I, I was a baby Christian, and I, so I have this man in front of me, an older, an older gentleman, trying to teach me how to speak in tongues and it was bizarre absurd it was just I, I didn't know what to do but all I knew was that you know my my rudimentary understanding of the word of God was that it's a gift from the Holy Spirit not something somebody's going to teach me how to do necessarily so when we look at this I've even I've even heard a, per, a man I heard a man once describe the Holy Trinity as the Father Son and, and the the Holy Bible. So the Spirit oftentimes has the, there's a possibility that the Spirit can be overlooked. Now I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask you a question. When faced with a kingdom task, let's say evangelizing, okay? When faced with a kingdom task, perhaps evangelizing, witnessing to a stranger, have you ever been reluctant to do that out of fear? Have you ever been timid about it or insecure and heaven forbid even ashamed to do it? Now let me ask you this. Let me further the question and, and, and uncover a little bit more. If the Lord Jesus Christ was standing right next to you in his person, would you be so timid? Would you be so fearful? Would you be less bold? Would you be reluctant, and again, heaven, for, heaven forbid, would you be ashamed? Or would you, would you be inclined with the Lord by your side, next to you, in, in his person, would you just wait on in and, and, and want to, with all your heart, share, share this news that you have become a partaker of? Well, if the answer to the first portion of the question is, yeah, I have been, I have been timid about it. I have been nervous about it. I have been fearful to do it. Listen, Jesus said, I go, it is to your advantage that I go away. And the advantage is, is that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. We should have no timidity. We should, be, we, should, we should be bold. We should be cheeky about this. We should go about evangelizing to others with, with, with a boldness and a courage 
because the Holy Spirit of God is in us and He drives us and He guides us and He directs us. And the thing is, the beautiful thing is, is that no matter what we do as far as when we evangelize, we don't own the outcome to that. Joe alluded to it. Uh, Luke has earlier today. We've been talking about these things. Whatever happens belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. We are to not be successful in how many people we can obtain for the kingdom of God, but rather that we should just be faithful. Now, I want to... Um, I want to delve into this notion today of sanctification. And in fact, I was, so, I was so blessed to see the music that we had today, the music that we sang together, that had so many references to sanct- being sanctified in Christ, to being set apart and all of that. Uh, for what uh, Joe talked about in his sermon a minute ago, about the things that are going on in this world and how we are separate from the world. How, how Jesus himself interceded for us with that high priestly prayer and talked about what our status in the world is. That's just, a, that's just an, an amazing thing. We should almost read John 17 every day when we think about that, the fact that the Savior himself intercedes for us. But as, we, as, we, as today's message, I wanted to talk kind of like a Holy Spirit part two, if you will, I want to talk about sanctification. So the title of the sermon is The Sanctifier and the Sanctified, and we can pretty much figure out who fits in what category here. And to start that, I want to I wanna look at two short, very short portions of Scripture as we understand the departure of Jesus and being sanctified in the Holy Spirit. The first one is from Matthew chapter 8, okay? And it's just five very short verses here. Let me, let me read them to you. It says, and when he got into the boat, Jesus, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? We've all, that's, okay, end of, end of the scripture in Matthew that I wanted to share with you. That's us, we preach on that all the time. This is a whole entire sermon, but it's a portion of what I want to use today to illustrate something. The next portion of scripture, so with that in mind, okay, the next portion of scripture is out of Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. And this is how it goes. Since about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He, the angel, struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. The end of the, end of the scripture there. So... I hope that you can see where I'm going with this. We have, we have prior to Pentecost, we have prior, we have during the ministry, the, the live on earth ministry of Jesus uh, and his disciples with him in his presence, okay, on a boat in the midst of a, of a, of a, of a just a riotous storm and they are absolutely terrified for their life because of the nature and the intensity of this storm. And yet here is the Savior sleeping. But the disciples, to include, to include Peter, I can only imagine, were terrified for their life. And they, they, they woke the Lord up and said, you got to save us, this, we're going to die here. And then we fast forward, post-Pentecost now, and we see Peter. We see Peter who is in prison. He has four, four groups of guards watching him. Herod is 
sure seems to me that he is going to execute Peter. He's already executed. He's already executed um, James, right? So here's Peter with who has to imagine in his mind that what awaits him is execution. What awaits him is certain death under the, at the hands of Herod. But what do we find Peter doing? This storm, if you will, that surrounds him, we find Peter sound asleep. The point I want to make here, and I don't think I, I need to belabor it too much, is that the Holy Spirit of God in us gives us that courage. It gives us that certainty. Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians 4, right? That these momentary light afflictions, they don't, they don't matter when compared against the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. Peter knew about this eternal weight of glory that awaited him. Peter was sound asleep. He slept like a baby, knowing that the next day inevitably would, would cause him some very serious problems as far as the, um, the continuation of his life, if you will. The astounding, uh, excuse me, so I want to talk about sanctification this morning. And sanctification, it, it's another long theological word. It's a word we're familiar with, we sing about, we, we sing songs using the, the term sanctification. Uh, Sanctification is a fundamental tenet of, of Christianity. Um, it's certainly a fundamental doctrine of Christianity, and most of us are very well aware of it. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and that's the whole purpose of the message, these last two messages, uh, including today's, is talking about the person of the Holy Spirit and then the work of the Holy Spirit in us as believers. So when we look at sanctification, uh, all the external works of God, the Spirit is is sent to complete the work that has been initiated by the Father and completed by the Son. Sanctification is part of the Gospel. And the Holy Spirit is the Sanctifier. So I've ticked that off my title already. We know who the Sanctifier is. It's the Holy Spirit of God Almighty. He is the one who applies the work of Christ to our lives by working in us to bring us to full conformity in the image of Christ. And in the process of our life, in the progress and the maturation of us as Christians, the Holy Spirit is our teacher, He is our guide, and the, Holy, and the, Holy, the, the Word of God is our textbook. As we continue to grow and walk out our faith in Christ here on this planet. That we are in the world, but certainly not of it. Now... I wanted to share, I want, I want to share, let's see what I have here, one, two, I got, I have five definitions, and I know some folks like to take notes, but I'm going to go through them, uh, they're not very long definitions of what sanctification is, uh, Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says this, it says, sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. The New Bible Dictionary says this, the process by which an entity is brought into relationship with or attains the likeness of the holy. The Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary says, the process of being made holy, resulting in a changed lifestyle for the believer, the act or process of making holy consecrated. The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery says this, the practice of godliness in the life of a believer and especially to the process by which a person who has been saved progresses toward the goal of becoming like God and Christ. And finally, with J.C. Ryle, he says, Sanctification is that inward spiritual work which the Lord Jesus Christ works in a man by the Holy Spirit when he calls him to be a true believer. He not only washes him from his sins in his own blood, but he also separates him from his natural love of sin in the world puts a new principle in his heart and makes him practically godly in life. So we had uh, five, different, five different definitions. They're remarkably similar, I think. But there's, there's, a, there's a kind of a common denominator that's in all these. And the common denominator is, is that when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about a process. We're talking about progression in our life. We're talking about movement. We're not talking about something that's static. 
We're not talking about something that is momentary or a one-time thing. We're talking about this continual, th continual thing that is going on in our life that separates us from the world. So I want, I just want, that's why I use so many definitions when one certainly would have sufficed just to make a point with you all. I have some, some things I want to say about sanctification now, and I'm going to number them for my note takers um, and talk about the practicality of this godly life that Ryle mentioned. Number one, the statement I would say is sanctification is the invariable result of that vital union with Christ, which is which true faith gives to a Christian. Okay, I'm going to use I'm, I'm going to use scripture on every one of these points that I'm making. But we we finished the last sermon on the Holy Spirit talking about this union with Christ. So right off the bat, we say it's that invariable result of this vital union that we have with Christ. We are we are in union with Christ. We commune with God. John 15, 5 says, Jesus said, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that what? Bears much fruit. And the union with Christ, which produces no effect on the heart, okay, the union with Christ that produces no effect on the heart and life is a mere formal union which is worthless before God. Number two, sanctification is the outcome of, an inseparable consequence of regeneration. The lack of sanctification, this evidence of a holy life in us, is a sign of non-regeneration. Where there is no holy life, there has been no holy birth. 1 John 3, verse 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. We need to take stock, we need to evaluate, we need to inventory. Um, I don't, I confess, I don't do it, but I probably need to read 1 John once a week at least. To, 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 to see where I'm, help, help me understand and see where I'm at. You remember Psalm 139 where David says, Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. We want to do that. We want to be sensitive to that. And you know, the reason, if we're sensitive to it, the reason we are is because of the Holy Spirit in us. Number three, sanctification is the only certain evidence of that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is essential to salvation. Romans 8 verse 9 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, what? Does not belong to Him. The Spirit never lies dormant, never lies idle within a soul. Ever. And, and hopefully I can, we can hammer that point home as we go on the remainder of this morning. Number four, sanctification is the only sure mark of God's election. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 says, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Romans 8 verse 29 says, predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, and Ephesians 1, 4, of course, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Number five, sanctification is a reality that will always be seen. In Luke 6, verse 44, Jesus said, For each tree will be or is known by its fruit. And going along with this is a sanctified and humble man may not realize that he has done something noteworthy. There's this, there's this humility that becomes bred in us as believers where we may do something and not necessarily consider it of note because what, what the Holy Spirit does as we have been justified and now we are being sanctified, being sanctified, this progression, this process that we, we, we're going through, there, there's things that become natural to us. We don't think twice about it. And I want to share just a portion of Scripture here out of Matthew 21, 31 through 40, okay? Now I'm going to read it quickly, but it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, 
and then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And here, here we go in verse 35, okay? Jesus said this, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to see me. Verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the, the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you as you did it to one of the least of these, my brother, you did it to me. Now, there's other things going on in this portion of Scripture than simply a humble person, a humble Christian rendering and ministering to another, okay? There's, there's more to it, but you see the point I'm trying to make. These things we do in the conduct of our life, the, the things that go on day to day, when we get that phone call and, all, and, and we can't fix something, but what we can do is we can begin to pray and then we can go just share space with somebody. Or if we know somebody's cold, we, you know what, I got a closet full of coats. Or if they can't make their utility, whatever it happens to be, we don't even think twice about that. And whereas before, we would have to calculate, what can I give to someone prior to Christ? What can I give to someone out of my surplus? But now we begin to change and we don't think along those lines. It's like, you know what? Giving someone something may cause a need in me, but it's not a need that I can't manage or I can't handle. I'm, I'm going to be... I'm going to participate in that. I'm going to do that. And you don't necessarily go, Lord, look at me. But what we do, Christ sees. He knows what's going on. Number six, sanctification is a reality for which every believer is responsible. Okay, every, every man on earth is accountable to God. In Matthew 16, it says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That we... We are responsible for what, what we, what's going on in our life as a Christian because God is going to hold us accountable. You know, we don't just... You know, I would do something good and I would turn to my mom and say, how about, how about what I just did, my mom? And, and Shirley would go, did it hurt? I said, what, what hurt? When, you, when the wings sprouted. Did it hurt when the wings sprouted? You know, we just don't... We don't become Christians and just go flying around and goofing off and enjoying things and all of that. Certainly that, the, that joy happens. You know, we have that pleasure. We have this peace that transcends all understanding that comes in us. But we're responsible for what we do. You will be held accountable for that. Number seven, sanctification grows in degrees. In John 17, 7, we just, I just read this to you. Jesus said, sanctify them. And in 1 Thessalonians, excuse me, Thessalonians 5.23, Paul's prayer, the very God of peace, what? Sanctify you. Paul's praying that prayer for us believers, for the people of the churches that he's associated with. Lord, sanctify them. Sanctify, uh, number eight, sanctif- uh, excuse me, number seven. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, hang on a minute. I'm in seven where I said sanctification grows in degrees. In both cases, the expression of those, of those scriptures plainly imply the possibility of what? Increased sanctification. Again, that we don't reach a certain level and we just hover there and stay there. That we can increase in our sanctification, that we should grow in it, and we should expect to grow in it, and we should endeavor to grow in it. We should work it out with fear and trembling. The expression here, now listen... The expression, you will never hear this expression in the Word of God, in a prayer, 
from Jesus Christ or one of his disciples that is recorded in the Bible, the expression, justify them, is never once in Scripture applied to a believer because the believer cannot be what more justified than he is. So, as we move along my little list here, we're starting to see a distinction for sure happen. Okay, so we're, now, we've, now we've got this other term that we're very familiar with, but that can often get kind of blended together, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there is a distinction. We will not hear Jesus say of, of any of you all in here who claim Christ as your Savior, Lord, justify them. doesn't need to be prayed. It, it's already happened. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are justified before God. When you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved, done deal, finished work, it is finished. That's where we're at. But this sanctification is a process that goes on and on and on. It continues and it should never stop. And if, and if it does, if we do feel it stagnating in our life, we, we, need to, we need to get with the program here. We need to do, uh, there's a lot of things that we can do. And I want to talk about that in just a moment here. Maybe I'll talk about it right now in, verse, in number eight. <laughs> Sanctification depends greatly on a diligent use of scriptural means, okay? This quality of our sanctification, this quantity and quality of our sanctification. The means of grace are this, okay? I'll, let, me, let me give you this. The means of grace are Bible reading, private prayer, worshiping God in church, hearing the word taught, and participating in the Lord's Supper. Now, I think if we just pause a moment and, and pull, out our, pull out our sheet here that Joe worked so hard to produce for us to follow our liturgy this morning, and a liturgy that, honestly, we should follow all week. This should be the, we should incorporate all the aspects of what's going on in here on, on this Lord's Day morning. That should be incorporated into our life during the week. We see that. Have, have we read the Bible this morning? Have we, have we prayed? Have we prayed? We prayed corporately, and we certainly we prayed private. We had a moment of praying privately. We've been worshiping God since the moment we came in here in, in that formal way that we do on the Lord's Day. Hopefully you're hearing the word taught this morning. You're hearing this, this being conducted here from Joe talking to Joe and Luke and the prayers and everything going on. We're being edified by these things. This, we're being equipped by all this, right? And then certainly we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. Boy, we've got, we've got this... All these things happening that impart and are a conduit for grace in our life. It's just a wonderful thing. That's why many of us, I, can, I won't presume to speak for everybody in the room here, but there's a reason you guys are at Christ Covenant Church. There's a reason that it was attracted to you, attractive to you. And I'll speak for me. It's the liturgy is one of the main things that attracted me to this church. It's the fact that our our, our Sunday morning, our Lord's Day service incorporates all these things. And it's not regimented and, and, and it's not uh, just simply rote things that are going on in our mind. We will do this. No, man, I, we're just swept up in this. That we hear the word of God and it's powerful and it's effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's split. It's dividing us. It's, it's cutting away those things in our life that are, that are inhibiting and... and, and, and uh, causing us to stumble in our sanctification. And then we pray. And is there a more intimate time? Maybe some of you saw the email I sent out with a bit of an exhortation in it this week. Is there a more intimate time in your life with God than when you pray? And we can all do that better. I defy anybody to tell me they've, they've reached the pinnacle or the apex of the mountain of prayer. None of us have. But we certainly can witness that in the Savior in John 17. The other, the other portion, the other part thing I want to say about this scriptural means and the diligent use of scriptural means, regulative means to grow in, in sanctification, they, the Holy Spirit uses these channels to convey fresh supplies of grace to our soul. And 
continue this work that He has begun in us, that He has started in us. You know, kind of the go-to scripture is Philippians 1, verse 6, right? Paul says, For I am confident of this, that He who began that good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So, we have that. We have John 17. We see the high priestly prayer being being prayed for us. Jesus is not praying for the world. He's praying for his people. And that, that should just, that should cause us, our, our sails to be full. And it should be projecting us down, down the course and the trajectory that God has for us. That should be happening. It just should. Just, just looking at that prayer and thinking about Almighty God praying and interceding for us. But also what the Holy Spirit is doing in us as well. Number nine, sanctification is a thing which does not prevent a man from having a great deal of inward spiritual conflict. Okay, I've made I've already, I've already alluded to that for sure. That there, this is, it is a struggle within the heart between the old nature and the new. Okay, we we weren't saved, we weren't justified, and in that same moment, raptured to heaven. Christ left us here for a reason. God left us on this planet for a reason. And we have this struggle between the old nature and the new, the flesh and the spirit, which are to be found together in every believer. Okay? Galatians 5.17 For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, this conflict can be an indication of a healthy spiritual condition to prove what? To prove that we are not dead but alive. Let's think about, let's think about sin as maybe a 500-pound boulder, okay? And you are, you are not in Christ. You don't profess Christ. And you're a corpse laying out in a field and somebody, somebody grabs their nice Kubota tractor and goes and drops this 500-pound weight of sin on you, do you feel it? Does a dead corpse feel anything? No, of course not. Now, we understand, we can, we can understand guilt. We can understand being guilty of something. I mean, look at Judas. Judas knew he sinned. He knew he did, but he didn't repent. It wasn't in him to repent. So as God quickens our heart, as He brings us, as He makes us alive, what also happens to us? We're not only more sensitive to God. We're not only more. We don't immediately begin to desire Christ and and want to be with Him and in union with Him above more than anything else. But we also come to understand this this effect of sin in our life. We become more sensitive to it. We become more sensitive to the the conviction of the Holy Spirit of sin in our life. And as we grow in that relationship with God, we also become more sensitive to that sin. And it's no accident. It's no accident that when Paul writes these things down, he makes a reference to the the, the uh, flesh lusting after the spirit. And I think there's a reason he lists that first, because he understands. Paul understands. We've all read Romans seven. I'm not going to go through all that whole long list, that, that whole portion there. We've all read it, but we, we see the Paul the Apostle, not the guy who just got saved, but the guy who's been ministering and planting churches and spreading the gospel in, in, in horrific conditions, who has been bold and cheeky and just going for it for God after over 20 years. He said, why do I do the things I shouldn't do? Why, why can't I do the things I need to do? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from the body of this death? That's Paul talking, and I'm going to tell you what, we can identify with that, right? We can identify it. Sometimes it feels like we take two steps forward, and man, we, we go back one. But here's the thing. Two, two minus one is still one. There's a net of one going on here. The Holy Spirit is perfect at what he does. He's perfect at what he does, and we're going to struggle. We're going to, we're going to have, we have a fight on our hands. Because I'm going to tell you, there are things about me and my life and my flesh that still cry out to me and tell me what a pleasurable thing it would be to do this. Oh, just, just this thing. 
you know, kind of all goes back to Genesis. Did God really say? You know, kind of, kind of the fundamental, the core of sin in anybody's life. Did God really say? And we process that and we think about it. Number 10, the final one in my list here. Sanctification is not merely the occasional performance of right actions. Rather, it is the continual work of a new heavenly principle within us which runs through one's daily conduct and everything they do, big or small. And of course, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, he says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for what? For the glory of God. Justification and sanctification, although they are two different things, sanctification is, is this process and progress. I kind of keep hammering on that, and I think you all get the message. Whatever we do, no matter what it is, no matter how trivial it is, not everybody can. Not everybody's going to come up here to the pulpit. Not everybody's going to be, be presented to the people of God and, and do what I'm doing. Now, you may aspire to that, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But think about what goes on behind the counter there every, every Lord's Day morning. People preparing, people preparing our, our communion meal to come to the Lord's table. People, people doing dishes. People, people uh, taking someone to their car. All these things are going on in our life, and they're of equal importance in the eyes of God. And they're all evidence of God's work and the Holy Spirit's work in your life. We don't do it for this. We don't. And oftentimes we almost we get to a point in our maturation as Christians where we just do it unconsciously because it becomes the, it becomes more and more natural to us. Paul said, the flesh lusts after the spirit, and the spirit lusts after the flesh. And as we grow in Christ, as we as the Holy Spirit continues this process of sanctification, the, the gap lessens. And the flash to bang of conviction to react uh, response to it shortens and shortens the flash to bang right kids when you see lightning you start we all start counting don't we one one thousand two one thousand three one thousand when you see that bolt of lightning we start counting and then when we hear the thunder we stop counting and however long we've counted that's how many miles away that lightning bolt hit right because the speed of light is way quicker than the speed of sound and that's how we do it we do that in the military with artillery when you see the flash you go you start counting unless there's a flash and then, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? So, but that, the point, my point is, is in, in, when we think about sin in our life, that when we, are in, when we sin, the Holy Spirit, being perfect in what he does, convicts us of that sin, convicts us of that sin, and the react, our reaction time to, to, to respond to that conviction shortens and shortens and shortens and shortens. It's never going to go away as long as you're drawing a breath on this earth. Just, to, just so you know, and I think you know that. But the day we shuffle off this mortal coil, the day that we, we expire our last breath and are in the presence of Jesus Christ, we will be unencumbered with, with sin. It is gone. There is no more flash to bang. There's no more time. There's no more conviction going on. It is absent from us. That's something to think, really think about and dwell upon. It's, it's just a wonderful thing to behold. So I want to I want to finish up here um, with just some points about sanctification and justification, just to complete this. There's points at which in which justification and sanctification, although they're two distinct things, there are points in which they agree. I would say both proceed originally from the free grace of God, right? They do. I'd say both are part of the great work of salvation, which Christ in the eternal covenant, eternal covenant, has undertaken. On behalf of his people, they agree in both that in that both are always found in the same people. Those who are justified are always sanctified. Those who are sanctified are what? Always justified. Both begin. Both begin at the same time. There's this. Oh, you're saying you're justified. Well, that process that that process of sanctification begins in that moment as well although not complete it begins in that moment and it doesn't stop 
Because once you are justified, you are justified. And the Bible is replete with the perseverance and the preservation of the saints as far as nothing can, who, who can steal this from us, who can take it from us. Paul says no one, of course. Now there's points upon which they differ, and I want to go through these. Uh, just I got them grouped in little pairs here. Justification is the reckoning and counting a man to be righteous for the sake of another, of another, and that other is the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification is the actual making a man inwardly righteous. Though regeneration is an abrupt and radical thing, sanctification begins abruptly but continues as a progressive affair. Uh, Forgive me for my redundancy here. The righteousness we have by justification is not our own. The righteousness we have by sanctification is our own righteousness imparted to us, inherent and wrought in us by the Holy Spirit, but certainly mingled with the imperfection of our flesh. Now that's, a, that's kind of a heavy thing, but something, something for us to ponder and think about, okay? In justification, our works have no place at all. None. Zero. Monergistic, right? In sanctification, our own works are of vast importance, and God would have us fight and watch and pray and strive. As we walk, as we walk to follow our master to, to serve the king and to serve the church and serve his people. Justification is a finished and complete work. Sanctification is an imperfect work, comparatively speaking. Now, you gotta listen, some nuance here, you gotta listen to me now. Comparatively speaking, it will never be perfected until we reach heaven, until we reach that day that we are in the presence of Christ. Again, hearkening back to Philippians 1, verse 6. Justification considers no growth or increase. A man is as justified at rebirth as he is upon leaving the earth. Okay? Sorry about the redundancy. Sanctification is a progressive work. Justification has our person in sight. Sanctification has our nature in sight. Justification gives us our title to heaven. Sanctification gives us our fitness for heaven. And justification is the act of God for us and is not easily discerned. But sanctification is the work of God within us and cannot be hidden from the eyes of man. Now as I close the message here, we're, we're, we're right there, okay? You guys have done wonderfully. I want to, I want to cite again, there's, there's, a, there's a scripture here that I want to read to you. It's only a couple of verses. But it's a scripture we almost invariably read and in the immediacy of reading it for the first time as a Christian... It's almost been committed to our memory. And see if you agree with me or not. I just, I, we read this. So it's out of Philippians. It's out of Philippians chapter 2, right? Everybody's starting to nod their head. They know where I'm going with this. Starting verse 12, it says, Therefore, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, what? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We know that scripture. We know that scripture and, and we, we can wrestle with that scripture. What does it mean to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Here are just some points I want to make to you as, as, you, all, as you all go home. And I know many of you talk about these, these things that uh, the, the preacher up here on Sunday mornings uh, bring up in the, in, during the message, and you talk about them on the way home and maybe in the evening or whatever. But when we talk about sanctification, the first thing we notice right off the bat is it's not a passive thing. It's not neutral, and it's not, we don't, we're not benign about it. We're not, it's not passive. We work it out with fear and trembling. Regeneration, again, is monergistic. In other words, it's the work of God alone. Sanctification has a synergistic aspect to it. It involves our participation with the Holy Spirit. We are called to work hard with fear and trembling for the kingdom. At the same time, we are promised that God is at work within us to will and to do for his good pleasure. Sanctification is not a static thing. It involves movement. It involves spiritual growth. Sometimes it seems, again, like we're going up two steps, but we slide back one, but nonetheless we are making progress, okay? Especially when we incorporate those means of grace into our daily lives. 
when we worship God together, when we, when we have those moments together with our wives and our children or our fathers or our moms and all that, we worship God, okay? I want to end the message today um, uh, with, this, with a short quote. I promise you it's short. Um, from a guy named Paul David Tripp. And I read a book once from him. It's, it's called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And I read it when I was uh, running a program up at the mission there for addiction recovery. And again, I, I know I bring that up a lot, but again, it's a point of reference for me. But anyway, I, I remember reading this particular portion of it, and as I was preparing today's message, this, this, what he wrote stood out to me a little bit. And I think I want to share it with you, because we as believers and Christians... Um, we are ministers. We are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People talk a lot about, well, I don't know if I'm getting fed at this church. I don't know, you know. I, it, they, they talk a lot sometimes about being nothing but in rece- receiving mode. Okay? But that's not how, that's not how we're wired. That isn't how the Holy Spirit has wired us. It's not how he has set us up. It's not how he has it's not what we've been prepared to do is do nothing but receive, receive, receive. We are to be ministers. We are to be ministers of the gospel. So we're going to encounter people in our lives, likely in our own families, who need to hear the gospel, who need who need to be um, who need to be uh, work worked with um, dealt with I, I'm not coming up with a good word for someone who's struggling with a particular sin in their life or something like that so listen to what Tripp says and, I, and, I, and you'll see what I'm talking about and I want to finish here he says this, he says you must grant them okay, talking about people who are struggling people who are, we are ministering to who are struggling in their life he says you must grant them the same grace and love that you receive from the Lord At the same time, you do not want that offer of grace to be misunderstood. God's grace is always grace leading to change. Since God's purpose is that we would become partakers of his divine nature, 2 Peter 1, right? Change is his agenda. As we offer people a humble, patient, gentle, forbearing, and forgiving love, we must never communicate, okay, that it is okay for them to stay as they are. That's whether you're talking, to, especially when we're talking to other believers who are struggling, who are fighting. As long as a vestige of indwelling sin remains, change is God's call. It must never be compromised in the relationships He gives us. To do so is to cease to be an ambassador and to stand in the way of the Lord's work in that person's life. So we sturdily refuse to condemn but we also refuse to condone. We accept people with a grace that empowers us for God's work of heart change. Anything less cheapens His grace and denies the gravity of our need. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now would you, would you rise with me now and join in singing hymn 207 in your contus, Jehovah, to my Lord hath said.